0: Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, open them up already for 1 Corinthians chapter 4 today. As you're doing that, i got a couple of quick announcements. Hey, uh, if you're in here today and you're part of our youth group, um, we are going on uh, a youth retreat this weekend, right? We leave on Friday? Okay. So um, with that, our, our sending church, Joshua Springs, their youth group is coming here on Wednesday. They're going to drive from California to here on Wednesday, and they're going to do youth group with us. They're going to actually ask that they could buy the pizza, so they're going to buy pizza. We're going to hang out together as, as combined youth groups as part of who we're going. Then Thursday, they're going to stay the night here, Wednesday night, in our sanctuary. And then Thursday, they're going to head on to Rupert Burley, and then we'll catch up with them on Friday um, for the retreat. And The retreat's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. In um, Be home on Sunday in uh, Rupert Burley area where um, our church is... Uh, the Springs Calvary Chapel. So um, one of the things that, and I think they're going to be okay, they're bringing sleeping bags and what they need, but I was wondering if anybody has like some camping like mats or cots or anything that you would be willing to loan them so they could be a little more comfortable. They're going to crash out on the floors in here. Um, So I have a cot, I use a cot, and then I have this like little foam mat that rolls out over it. I'm just going to bring that mat for them so someone could throw that down on the floor and be a little more comfortable. If you have anything like that, that's not like, you know, anything that we borrow, we're not sure how well we're going to get it back to you. So if it's really valuable to you, don't bring it. But if you have something that you're willing to let the youth group use on Wednesday, um, see me. I think what we'll do is just open up the church Wednesday at a certain time. And if you could bring it by and then Sunday when you're here, pick it up. Blow-up mattresses, those would probably work too if anybody has a blow-up mattress. Um, again, if they're fancy and you covet them, then, you know, I don't, I don't want to be too responsible for all this stuff. But uh, youth group will be here Wednesday and they're, they're kids. If we had a couple of things for the adults, then, then um, that'd be comfortable. But super excited. There's like, Josh, how many is they bringing, you know? Yeah, 34 people and kids coming from, uh, yeah, from the California youth group. So, again, you guys be here whether you're going to the retreat or not. If you're part of youth, make sure you're here Wednesday night for the get together with this other youth group. And then um, I believe the retreat might be full. So, but talk to Josh and Amber If you haven't signed up or you want to go, it's last minute now, but you could at least talk to them on that. Amen? All right, you guys ready for this? Yeah? How many of you guys were here last week? A couple of you? All right. So um, we're in a certain section of Scripture right now. How many of you guys are here today new today? I see a couple new faces. I see a couple visitors. So maybe know us, maybe not first time. Okay, for you new folks, I'm going to apologize now. How many of you guys have... How many of you guys have your Bibles? If you don't open them up, get your app out, get something. I want you to follow along with me. If you need to borrow a Bible, we have some Bibles you can borrow. Um, Carl will be happy to get you one. Um, Look at verse chapter 4. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Last week we talked about this big sign behind me, and we said that basically it's all about Jesus, right? Now, what the the message was last week was a wake-up call. Not a wake-up call, I guess. Maybe it could be a wake-up call, but it was more of a... Of a, of a reality check of looking in the mirror. Where are we in, as Christ followers, right? And Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, and 3, the theme is the outline. And a lot of people would agree on this simple outline that you find in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3 is Paul is dealing with three separate walks of life that we have with Christ. You guys remember what they were? Last week we studied in depth the carnal, okay, good, was the carnal Christian, The first week we studied the natural man and then the middle one is the spiritual. So we have the natural, the spiritual and the carnal. Now the spiritual is where we all want to be born again believers in Jesus Christ who are bearing fruit, who have relationship with Jesus that that, that bears fruit and and the, 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 the one we studied last week was the carnal. So again, the natural, the natural man is before you become a Christian, the natural man, Paul says, he doesn't understand the things of the Bible. He reads it and he's, he's your buddy or your friend that says, oh man, I read the Bible and it didn't make sense to me. I read the Bible and it was Chinese. Well, the problem is that you, you're dead and dead men don't read too well, right? You know, dead men tell no tales. And so the natural man, his spirit has not been born again. So the things of the spirit, they don't make sense to him. They don't quite click just yet. And then once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, once you surrender, then things begin to make sense to you. And I know it's difficult for some because some people have this idea that if I would just understand, then I would believe. If I would just be able to figure these things out intellectually, and if God would show me these things, then I would believe and be a follower of Jesus Christ. But God is not going to do that for any of you. He just won't. You know, he, He says that it is impossible to please God without faith. And so it's necessary that we, we do put this faith and trust in God first. And then as you put your faith and trust in God, then guess what happens? These, these understandings, these light bulbs begin to come on in your in your life that you didn't understand before because now your spirit is alive, your spirit can read, your spirit can understand. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit that now lives inside of you As you read the Bible, as you pray, things happen differently than they did when you were a natural man. Amen? So we have the natural man, and then we have the spiritual man, and then the carnal Christian is what we studied last week. Now, the carnal Christian is this kind of anomaly category of somebody who is born again, somebody who's going to heaven, but but they're not really bearing fruit for God. They're, They're living a carnal Christian life, and last week I asked each one of you to put up a mirror and kind of just have an honest assessment of, of where you are in Christ and what God is calling you to, and maybe for some of us to um, go deeper in our relationship with Jesus, amen? I think we're living in a time that, you know, the Bible describes as, as the last days, as, as the return of Jesus Christ. And even so, again, Hebrews, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren, even so, as you see these last days approaching. And I don't think that we could, there's no possible way that there could be more signs of the times that God could show us of what we're, than where we're living right now. It doesn't mean the Lord can't tarry for another five years, 10 years, but it just doesn't feel that way. It just feels like the things that are happening right now for everything to reset, go back to normal. And then this stuff, same exact things to happen again in the future. I don't know. It doesn't seem like that's, that's, that's likely again, God can do what he wants to do. And, you know, the Lord said to occupy until he comes, and so we're to live every day expecting that Jesus could come back, but also preparing that if he doesn't, amen? So today's message is um, kind of passing that, that, those, that three-part carnal, Christian, or carnal spiritual um, natural man, and Paul gets into some other stuff. I want to start by drawing your attention to chapter 4, verse 14, before we start in verse 1. This is my uh, uh, protect verse. To protect the past this is a shield I'm gonna put up right here. So the tomatoes can't hit me today. Listen, it says, I do not write these things to shame you. Look at your neighbor and say, shame. Okay. But as my beloved children, I I what? I what? So is Paul's intention to shame the Corinthians? Come on, this ain't Chinese, y'all. You don't even have to be a you don't even have to be a spiritual or a carnal Christian understand this even a natural person in here can understand this right verse number 14 again you know I always say this I don't I don't write the mail I just deliver it so again the message today and what Paul is going to talk to you and I about and again, that's why I kind of jokingly apologize to new folks that are in here today because the message is again, it's it's holding your feet to the fire. It's a message that God wants to say to you: Where are you in Christ? And and it's time to step up. It's time to put on your big boy pants and 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 stop playing Christian, okay? Because you, the reality is, God doesn't have. Listen, God, you know I, I say this, I got to be careful, but God is not interested in. Casual Christianity—he's really not. Well, God's desire for your heart and for me is for us to really do it right and and not phone it in, to to be on fire for God, and, and for the casual seeker. I mean, as you here's the thing: as you go through the Word of God, here's what you find a consistency in from Genesis to Revelation. Things like God says, "If you seek me, you will find me. If what you seek, you seek me with your Whole heart. You guys know that verse. He says in another place that if you seek me diligently, you will find me. And so there's always these qualifiers in how we're to seek God. And none of them have this idea that, that God wants us just to be casual or be um, nonchalant about our walk with the Lord, that there's always this call to grow up, to stand up, to be up. And so here today, Paul is talking to these Corinthians and they're carnal. We've already established in chapter 3 last week that this group of Christians is carnal. And so what is Paul doing? So he's coming at them with a the mirror, looking them at, having them look at themselves. And he's saying, listen, it's time for you to step up in your walk with Jesus. It's time for you to stop playing Christian, stop living carnal lives, and begin to bear fruit for Jesus. Somebody say amen. 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 So I do not write this to shame you. Okay, we qualified this last week. Paul says, I write this, my beloved children, again, Paul's love for them, because he loves them, is to warn you, right? If somebody comes to you and they say, hey, listen, you're playing in the street, you're going to get hit by a car. Oh, you just don't like me. You just don't want me to have any fun. You hate me. No, I don't hate you. I love you. And that's why I'm telling you to get your sorry butt out of the street, right? You know, because that's love and and you're going to get hit by a car And then Paul says, um, look at verse number 20 and 21. And then we will start on verse number one, I promise. It says, um, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love or in a spirit of gentleness? And so, again, Paul is just saying through a couple qualifiers that I wanted to start with as we get into this chapter is that it is corrective. You guys know that 1 Corinthians, I I warned you guys, right, as we got into this study in 1 Corinthians, that 1 Corinthians is a corrective epistle. It's a church that had all kinds of problems, and as Paul writes to them, you're going to see. Next week, we get some really fun stuff. One of the guys in church is sleeping with his dad's wife. So that's what we get to deal with next week. You know, and it just keeps going throughout the church. And, you know, they just had tons of problems. But again, Paul is saying, I want to correct these things, but I want to do it in a, in a spirit of gentleness. And how did you want me to come? Do you want me to come with a rod? Do you want me to come with guilt and shame? And Paul says, I'm not going to come that way because it's not effective, right? You know, we talked about last week, guilt doesn't motivate anybody. The Bible says it's the love of Jesus that motivates you. It's the fact that God loves you so much that he can put these mirrors in front of you. We can gather together. To to um, step up, we can gather together to just be a real assessment of where we are in Jesus. Amen. Okay, chapter four, verse one. Not yet. Almost. But now we can introduce the chapter. Listen, the the whole issue, the entire enemy of your and I walk with Jesus is one major sin. Okay, there is one sin in all of the Bible that sets itself above the rest. Anybody know what that particular sin is? It's the same sin that caused Satan to fall. You guys are so good. Pride. Pride is, is a sin that... It, and, and again, I, I, don't, I don't understand this stuff. I can remember kind of growing up in the church and people trying to say, well, oh, which sin is worth in these scales and I could never figure it out. I understand how that all works. And, but I will say this, um, that the Bible does identify the sin of pride as the biggest problem, because whether you're, you know, even in in when John said the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, you know, Satan's really three plays: sex, money, and power. Really, in all of them, pride is the defining issue, that the underlying issue for each one of us. And and what happened to Satan was Satan was full of pride, and 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 he fell out of heaven. At Cain and Abel, the sin was pride that his brothers offering was accepted and his wasn't. And what you find is that no matter what the, 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 the exercise of sin is, the underlier in the Bible is oftentimes and, and most of the time is a pride issue. And so, so the Bible deals with you and I as Christians that we're not to have pride, that we're to be humble. In Micah, one of my favorite verses in Micah 6-8, it says, um, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Now, whenever the Bible is going to tell you exactly what God requires of you, your ears perk up, right? Like, okay, I want to know. Like, this is cool. Like, this is easy. This is simple. What does the Lord require of you? Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Micah tells us. And so that's really what this chapter is about. It's just about Paul telling them that that we are to live in humility as Christians, and that we're to battle the pride, and that we're, we're to... Just walk humbly with our God. And that in that, we have nothing to be proud of because everything that you have, God gave you. And we're going to deal with that in a minute. Um, Let me just, one last thing and then we will start. Verse one, last little intro thing. On the area of pride. Now, sometimes I say things to like, like, I'm proud of my son. I'm proud to be an American.
1: Oh, Christian, you're not supposed to have
0: pride. Get behind me, Satan. Shut up. You're stupid. You're, you know, I, I want to just say that it's normal, right? Like, we, we, can, we can be proud of things. We can, we can be proud of our children when they succeed, when they get an A on a test, when they throw a no-hitter, when they, you know, whatever. Like, you, you can be proud and, and be proud of America. And, you know, it's a, it, there's a line that, that pride is a different issue, you know. When I'm, when I'm proud that, you know, you're proud because when you look in the mirror, you're really pretty. Did you create yourself? (laughs) Did you give yourself that little swag you got going on? Or did God give you that? You got nothing to be proud of, you know? I guess what you can be humble about is that God didn't make you ugly. Because God's not fair. Don't ever think God's fair. He's just, but some people he made beautiful and others he's going to make them beautiful in heaven. Just kidding. Verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let a man so consider us. Paul's talking about him and, and Apollos, his traveling companion. Um, and he says, as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, right away in verse four, verse, chapter 4, verse 1, um, Paul always uses this word to describe himself as servant. The word servant that Paul often uses is what? Is doulos, which means bond servant. And a bond servant is somebody who was a slave who, who got freed and decided to willingly go back and work for that owner by placing a, his ear on the doorpost and having an awl placed through his ear. It was the mark of a doulos or a bond servant. This word here that Paul uses for servant is a it's kind of out of left field. It's a different word. It's not doulos or bond servant. The word here for servant is a Paul uses a term that, that describes an under rower. An under rower are those that would be underneath the boat, you know, rowing the boat. The thing about the under rowers is they they didn't get any credit. They didn't have any kind of, nobody cared about them. They were usually the lowest of society and, you know, that they would be chained sometimes to the oars and different things. And, you know, an under rower was just never any credit. It was just the lowest of the low. And Paul describes himself to the Corinthians as an under rower. He says that we're under rowers of Christ and stewards of the mystery. Now, the word steward is a, another interesting word that Paul uses here, and it means a spectacle. And it comes from the, a Roman term that when the Romans would conquer cities, you know, as Rome grew, you guys heard of the gladiators and the, the games that they would do. Well, they would bring back certain prisoners, they would call them spectacles. And they were the ones that they would um, not so much become gladiators because they didn't know how to fight. Maybe some of the soldiers and that they would turn into the gladiators. But these would just be the ones they would throw to the lions. They would throw off the top of the Colosseum to their death as the crowds would gather and cheer. And so these, these people that Rome would take back and conquer and feed to the lions in the games and, and, and they were called the spectacles. And that's what Paul describes himself as, an or a spectacle. So you've seen why he apologizes later in verse 14 as he gets into this. He's already called you an under rower and a spectacle. And he says, moreover, it is required in stewardship that one be found. Okay, everybody, verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found. Thank you. you. Um, Hey, I preach this verse a lot. And, And we've not got here yet in this exact place, you know, right? But I preach this verse all the time, so I hope you guys know this. It is required of a servant that he be found faithful. And, and, and really, so for each one of you, there's lots of different ways we can look at this, but the one that I, I often bring out, because I want to encourage every one of you that you have a role in Jesus to step up. Because I think as I, as I give you this challenge of where are you, are you? Are you natural? Are you carnal? Are you spiritual? Do you want to grow in Christ? Do you want to bear fruit? Some, the Bible says, receive 30, 60, 100-fold fruit in Jesus. Do you want to be a 100-fold fruit follower of Christ? Do you want to have rewards when you meet Jesus for the first time? Do you want to be used? Do you want to hear, well done thou faithful servant, enter into the rest of the Lord? And I think that we get this feeling like, oh, well, it's easy for you as the pastor to say this. It's easy for the worship team or missionaries or other folks who are front lines ministers for Jesus Christ to receive these types of rewards and challenges. But me, I'm just a under rower in a spectacle. I'm getting ready to get fed to the lions, you know, and, you know, I, I'm just the mailman. I'm just the plumber. I'm just a mechanic. You know, Billy Graham, he was called of God to preach, and he probably, you know, led more people to Jesus than any other person as far as I know, and definitely in, in this century and in the last, and was used mightily of God. You think, Wow man, his reward is so great and his and his place in heaven and on and on and on. But, but this principle right here, this verse says that it's required of a steward, and I've shared this to you guys a million times, that here's what God requires of you because we don't get to control whether we were born to be Billy Graham and preach to millions in live audiences and see millions come to Jesus, faith in Jesus through our ministry, or whether we get to deliver mail in Tooele or fix cars in Tooele or be a plumber in Tewella. You know, But what God bases your reward on is not where He's called you in the body of Christ, but what? How what? How faithful you are. What have you been called to do? You know, Paul says over and over again, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. You put your name there. Ray, called to be what? A pilot on the base. Called to this, called to that. God has called you to where you are. And, and his, his, his reward for you is not based on where you've called, been called, but his reward for you is based on what? How faithful you are to serve him. How faithful you are to do, maybe God's called you, Kevin and Darlene, I see them here. God's called them to run the prayer ministry here. God's called them to serve in many places before they got here and other things. And the, 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 the call of God on their lives is not what's going to base on their reward, but how faithful were they to do that? And so for each one of you, just be faithful to where God has called you, amen? So Paul tells them this, gives them this nugget of truth. You know, I think of this guy Shama, Shama in the Old Testament. You remember David's mighty men. In 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 Samuel, I love these guys, man. These guys are like these the real life 300. You know that movie 300 with the Leonidas, and you know that's like a man's movie, right? Like you just your chest just stands out when you watch that movie, and when he kicks that guy into the hole, you're just like yes, you know, like. But the, these guys were the real. Three hundred. They were the real-life warriors of David's day. And this one guy, Shama. He says, "Look, look, look at Shama." Verse. Actually, don't. You're not there, but it's in Samuel, Second Samuel, twenty-three. I just read it to you. Verse number eleven. And after him was Shama. So it's going through all the mighty men of David. After him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Harite. The Philistines had gathered together in a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So it was a field of beans. So the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field alone, defended it, and killed all of the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. So for him, he just said, I don't know. King David told me to stay here and defend this field. I'm not going anywhere. And all the people were like, dude, you're crazy. The Philistines are coming. We're way outnumbered. We're all leaving. And all the people fled. A faithful Shammah, who stood in the middle of a bean field. How important do you think those beans were? Probably not that important, right? Probably go down to Little Tijuana and get cans of refried beans all you needed. But he, he was going to stay and defend the field. It didn't have a ton to do with the field. It had to do with his faithfulness to what the king called him and told him to do. Against all odds, it was suicide. And then God shows up and does this miracle through Shammah and He defeats an entire Philistine, whatever, army, garrison, whatever they were, and defends this field. And it says that God brought an amazing work through His faithfulness. Just through Him being faithful. And then back to 1 Corinthians. In verse number 3 it says, But with Me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by You or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge Myself Paul is pretty unique in this area. He said, I don't even know if I've done anything wrong. I don't even judge myself. And for you to judge me on, you know, he's like, it doesn't really matter to me. I'm not, I'm not living in that world. I'm not in that fight. I'm just, I'm just here serving God as an under rower. And for whether you judge me or not, I don't even judge myself. And then in verse 4, he says, for I know of nothing against myself. How many of you guys can say that? No, I certainly cannot. I know a few things against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from from the Lord. So again, just really simply, Paul is saying like I again, this humility that he has, he's speaking of his own humility of his own just honest assessment, that I don't judge myself, God judges me, and the praise doesn't come from everybody around, it comes from the Lord, and that we're to remain humble and faithful. And then in verse 6 he says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and to Paulos for your sake, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf Of one another against one another. Remember what they were saying last week? I am of Apollos and I am of Paul. Oh, and then the real troublemakers were the ones in the church that were saying, "Oh, I'm of Jesus Christ." You know, and and Paul said, "Hey, don't don't do that. I'm one of Apollos, one of Paul, one of Jesus. Like we're all followers of Jesus. It's about Jesus." And so here again, he's just reiterating that um, that they were puffed up on behalf one against another. In verse seven, he says, "For who makes you differ from another?" And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So this is the concept I was telling you guys about: being pretty and how can you can you glory in that? You know, th- th- this verse tells us it kind of strips away any reason you have to be proud or have pride. You know, even in your walk, even in your faith, everything that that you have, God gave you as a gift. Okay, and that's humbling. Just that I, I oh I have this wonderful business. I have this. No, God gave you that, and it's not yours. And then you think, oh, well, you know, like, in in Jesus, we think, well, at least what I did to follow Jesus, I put my faith in God. I made a decision to follow God. There should be some credit there. I know a lot of people have not made that decision. At least I get credit for that, right? No, here it says you don't. It says even the faith that you needed to believe in God, He gave it to you. And it's like He's stripping away from you. You know, everything you have to be proud of, just to stay humble and just know that it's God who works in your life. Just know it's the Lord Jesus who blesses you and be thankful to Him and for Him and what He's done and that we're left with nothing. You know, I say all the time, I have, you know, I often remind her that, you know, I didn't I don't have nothing to be proud of or be prideful for. I didn't die for anybody. I don't have a heaven to send people to. You know, that, that we, we have nothing and that what we do have, God gave it. And whatever whatever you have, you know, again, a talent. You may have a talent. You may have worked hard in your talent to perfect it and and, and do, you know, better than others. And God bless you for that hard work and for that, that ability. But still, the talent that you have, God gave that to you. Amen? And then it says in verse number 8, you are already full. You are already rich. Now, Paul's going to begin a little bit of uh, Holy Spirit sarcasm here again, kind of... Um, By the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit, Paul is writing these things. So this is in sarcasm or in satire when he says, you're already full. They weren't full. You are already rich. They weren't rich. You have reigned as kings without us. They weren't reigning as kings. And indeed, I could wish you did reign that we also might reign with you. And so again, all these things, again, Paul is in satire saying, you know, you're, you're not rich. You may think you are, that you, you don't have these things. It's a lot like what the Lord Jesus said in Revelation. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3 and look at verse number 14. And Paul is talking to, and this, this really is the, it's the essence of what we're talking about in chapter 4, right? Is this church that Jesus addresses. And if you know anything about Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there are seven letters that, Paul, that Jesus himself writes through the Apostle John on the island of Patmos to the seven churches in Asia Minor that were the seven bodies of churches that were existing in the time about the year 100, about 50 years after, 70 years after Jesus died on a cross and rose again. Paul goes out on these missionary journeys, begins to plant these churches, and, and then we get this prophetic model written from the island of Patmos, and it's a letter to seven churches churches or bodies. And then as we identify these, they're report cards that Jesus wrote to all the seven churches. And there's one that he has nothing negative to say about the church of Philadelphia. And they were the church that kept God's word, that were missionary minded. And again, that's what we want to emulate. That's the church we want to be. That's the church why we we want to keep God's word, why we want to teach God's word and put God's word as an emphasis upon what we do as, as, as a when we gather. And they were a church that were missionary minded. And They were sending missionaries out and they were on mission themselves in their communities and in their neighborhoods. But to the church of uh, this lukewarm church, Paul's going to write some really scary things. And like he's talking to the Corinthians when he says, you are rich, you are kings. Look at what Jesus says to the lukewarm church. And it says to the angel of the church of Laodicea in verse 14, these things says the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of creation of God. That's clear description of Jesus. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Yikes. Those are strong words from the Lord Jesus himself. Okay, don't do it quickly. Think about it. But raise your hand if you want to be vomited out of the Lord Jesus' mouth. Anybody? Anybody? Come on, there's some like sadistic like. There's always one. I do. I'll do it. Nobody. Look, me neither. This is this is again. This is strong language to to make a make a really valuable point that this church. She says, "I wish you were either hot or cold. At least if you were cold and you were not serving God, you were a natural man. You weren't playing Christian. You weren't phony. You weren't lurk being lukewarm. Then then at least." I can deal with you. I can deal with your honesty. And I can bring you to a place where you're cold and you're hot. And it doesn't bother me as much if you're just honest and cold. You're just not there. But, but to pretend that, that you're something you're not or not be in a place where you're lukewarm and you've got one foot in church and one foot in the world. And, and, and you can never be comfortable there, people. Your foot that's still in the world and likes the things of the world, it's never, that, that's going to make the foot in church very uncomfortable. And the foot in church is going to make the foot that's in the world very uncomfortable. And you'll never be happy with one foot in church and one foot in the world. And to this particular church, Jesus says, because you are there, because you were neither hot nor cold, it it just disgusts me. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. That that particular station I can't deal with. If you're cold, I can deal with that, and we can get you to where you need to be. You know, that's why maybe sometimes your friends, you talk to them, and they're just totally anti-God. And you think they're the last person in the world that ever become a Christian. They may be a lot more closer to becoming a believer than the other people you talk to that give you a lot of yes answers and, you know, a lot of yes men stuff as you you tell them about God. Maybe those people that are far from God and are hard, those are the hearts that God is really working on. And look at what he goes on to say. And he says, Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And again, as Paul is talking to the Corinthians in that context, that you guys think you're kings and you think that you're rich and you think that you've arrived and that you have these things, but you you don't. I wish you were kings so that I could be in your court, Paul tells the Corinthians. And Jesus is telling here the church to the Laodiceans the same thing. In verse 18, listen, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with the eye salve, and that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Back to First back to Corinthians. And then in verse number 9, he says, For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. And again, that, that spectacle is that, that same idea that I talked about as a Roman spectacle, is that, um, that, that we would be made spectacle to angels and men. We are fools for Christ's sake, yet you are wise for Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Listen, what Paul's saying here. If you want to fit in in this world, you want to be cool among your friends and among your circles, you're always going to be lukewarm and you're going to struggle as a Christ follower. Okay? Because no matter how hard you try to be cool and to be Christian and to fit in, you, you'll never be loved by the world. Jesus said that if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. You know, I, I think of the, really the, the, the world. And, and really, do you know what the biggest problem in our world today is? It's the church. It's Christians. If we could just get these Christians out of the way then we could do what we want to do and that's the, that's the prevailing idea right now we could defund the police we could we could we could make pedophilia legal we could get rid of these churches and these you know the, the, this has been satan's plan since since genesis chapter 6 you know this is some deeper stuff but in genesis chapter 6 the tower of babel went up and it was, it was all the people that were speaking one language and they were together and they were united. You know what the, the, the goal of Genesis chapter 6 was? It was to form a one-world government, a one-world economy, a one-world religion. Do you know what Satan's goal has been since Genesis chapter 6? A one-world economy, a one-world religion, a one-world whatever on and on and on that's going to happen. And the book of Revelation says that when the seven-year tribulation begins, that Satan's finally going to get it. He's been trying it for thousands and thousands of years. And it's been his agenda nonstop. And for a short amount of time, he's going to win. But in order for that to happen, the church has to get out of the way. And the world hates you. It hates me. Jesus said, you know, I think of this story, and I don't know how it is, but it's always impacted me. I don't know how true it is. But there's a guy who says he had a vision, and you guys could check him out. He's called 23 Minutes in Hell. You can make your own opinion about him and his story. I have my own, but I like him. I think he's great. But he, he tells a story and he says it was a vision, but it was almost as if it was deeper than just a vision, that God actually brought him in spirit to experience some things to come back and tell a story. And, and, and he says in this, in this vision, 23 minutes in hell, he's, he's a doctor and he's all these things. So he's really like smart guy. He's really accomplished. And he, it took him a long time to come out and share his story because of, of some of the backlash. But he shares it. And I think it's super powerful. But he says that, that he had a vision and, and he was taken into hell through this process and got to experience some things in hell in a vision before God brought him out and the things that he shared. And one of the things he says in his, in his story is that when it was all over and, and the Lord brought him out uh, out of this experience, he said to Jesus, why while he was in hell, why did the demons hate me so much? And Jesus said to him, they didn't hate you. They hate me, and it was because I'm in you that, that, that they hate you like that, and, and and that's encouraging, and and it really is. If Jesus is in you, Satan hates Jesus. The demons hate Jesus. They hate that part of you. We're never going to fit in. Try, stop trying to fit in with this world. You know, we're to love this world. Paul's going to go on and tell us here in a little bit about how we're to... Um, you know, how we're to behave and who we're to hang out with and who we're not to hang out with and some of those qualifying things. And as believers, we we are supposed to kind of rub elbows with the world a little bit. You know, we're not supposed to recluse just to ourselves and only Christians, that in order to reach lost people, we we have to love them. We we have to try to find a way tactfully to, to fit in a little bit. But, but here's what we don't do. We don't make them our best friends. We don't receive counsel from them. We don't call them when, when things are going bad in our marriages, in our lives for advice. That, that, so that there's a, a place for us as believers that we are to love the world. We are to reach the world. We are to reach the lost. But we're just not supposed to receive counsel and make them our best friends. Different message, different day. Let's look at verse number 10. It says, we are fools for Christ. We just read it. sake. But we are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour we both hunger and thirst, that we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we blessed, being persecuted, we endured. So Paul was growing, verse number 12, being reviled, we blessed. How many of you guys being reviled, you just blessed back? All right? we talked about it a little bit last week, car cuts you off, you roll the window down, hang a hand out the window, tell them they're number one or... Our wave, you know, and and we bless you in Jesus' name. We make the sign of the cross. What do we do? Um, you know, when Paul earlier was was arrested, he was in he was in Jerusalem and he was arrested, and the high priest smacked Paul in the mouth. You remember this? And Paul looked at the high priest and he said, "You whitewashed tomb. You know how dare you hit me?" And then later the the guy said, "How, how do you revile the high priest?" And Paul apologized. He said, "I didn't know it was the high priest." and But when he was hit, he didn't bless. (laughs) He cursed and he got mad. He told him, you whitewashed tomb. How could you hit me? And then here, this is later in Paul's life. And now he's saying, you know, so he's growing just like the rest of us in this area of knowing that, you know, we're to revile or when we're being reviled, that we're to bless, we're being persecuted, we're to endure. What is the first thing that Jesus said upon the cross after being beaten, after carrying the cross from the praetorium down the Via Dolorosa to the place of the Calvary? What did Jesus say? He said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Such an example. In verse 13, he says, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as a fifth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. Offscouring. And then in verse 14, he says, I do not write these things to shame you. As my beloved children, I warn you. Okay. Again, we don't give guilt trips in church. Okay, it's never my intention to guilt any of you into anything. Okay, that doesn't work. I don't. I don't. Mo- God doesn't motivate you that way. I don't want to motivate you that way. Um, I want to motivate you with the love of Christ, and it's because you have a father that loves you and he cares for you and he wants what's best for you, and he's warning you against being lukewarm. He's warning you against these things, and he says in verse fifteen, "For though you might have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet you do not have." many false teachers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Now, the first thing he says, you might have 10,000 instructors. Listen, we we live in a world today where you have 10 million instructors. Okay. How many of you guys have one of these? Anybody? Just me. Okay. On here, you can podcast. You can listen to every sermon from pretty much any church. I don't care if it's a small Baptist church. A buddy of mine just left last week. And he took over a little small Baptist church in Taft, California. And I watched his sermon online at Taft Baptist, first Taft Bass Baptist, Max Ivey, a buddy of mine, a good friend of mine. So you can, I mean, you you have everything at your disposal. I have, I have a place here on my phone. I have where um, it's my teaching apps. And just in here, page after page after page of apps of different pastors and churches and teachings. I have a pastor friend, a good friend of mine, and he says, I, I hire pastors, and I don't care how well they teach, really, that's not the thing, like, you know, whether they can teach the Bible or not is not a big deal to me. I want pastors who are going to pray for the people they're pastoring, and if I know that they're prayer warriors, and they literally are spending time every week praying for the people, that's what I'm looking for in a pastor. If they're not that great of a teacher, I don't care that people can podcast, right? They can get sermons anywhere, like, whether, they can, whether the guy can teach or not, it doesn't matter because there's not a need necessarily for that, because there's so much available to us. Okay. So much available to you. You go, when you get home today, turn on your Facebook and I guarantee you, maybe I don't, I don't know what you like and how your page is set up. But if you're like mine, it's, it's, as I scroll through, I'm going to see today, this afternoon, 17 different churches that are posting their, their sermon online. Okay. So you have to your, you know, you have it all out there. You have no excuse. It's all out there. But, but here's what Paul's encouraging in this. We have lots of instruction, okay? But listen, here's what Paul says. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Go back. Well, for, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. For you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. So listen. A father in the gospel is something completely different. Paul says you don't have, you have lots of opportunities to get messages and read books and commentaries and grow. But a father in the faith is somebody that you've placed yourself under, one person, one voice. You know, in the ring, when we when we give the MMA fighters and the boxers that go in the ring, the way the corners work, the only one voice is supposed to come out of the corner that goes into the ring. And if they have too many coaches outside, the guy in the ring, he can't, he can't, process and he's trying to hear he's trained only to hear one voice from the head coach that's going to speak into the ring of what he's supposed to do to help him as he's fighting and there's one voice that Paul is saying that you have lots of people that instruct you but not many fathers a father in the faith for me I have my my senior pastor pastor Gerald he's a father in the faith to me you know a long long time ago I decided that God had placed somebody in my life that that I would follow no matter what and when I don't agree, when I don't like what he has to say, I do it anyways. Because, because I've, I've humbled myself. You know, I've had people call me a yes man. All you're just a like, yes man to Pastor Gerald. I say, yeah, I am. I don't care how you call it. And the thing was, I, I realized it, it wasn't about Pastor Gerald. It wasn't about him being right or being wrong or being... It was about God putting one person in my life that I was willing to be accountable to, that I was willing to follow as he followed Christ... And, and, and that, that in that, that God could, in his sovereignty, speak to Pastor Gerald in my situation. Now, he signed my paychecks for lots of years. So doing what he told me to do was kind of not optional for a long time. Like, I just did it anyways. But when I left and I became a senior pastor and he didn't sign my paycheck anymore, I made a decision that he was my father in the faith and that I was going to follow him. And so we, I call him on a weekly, sometimes daily basis. A lot of decisions that are made around here. I bounce them off of him first. There's been many times where I've wanted to move in a certain direction and he said no. And I didn't like it. And I could do what I want because he doesn't sign my paycheck anymore. But I've decided to put myself in a position that, that there's some human person that I'm accountable to that I'll follow. And Paul's talking about that, that there's one person in your life. Who, who is the somebody that, you know, again, lots of teachers, but somebody who really pours into your life. Somebody who's your father in the faith. And, and to pick those, to have those. You know, the one voice that when you're in the ring fighting that you hear, that you want to listen for. Amen? And then he says um, in verse 17, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in all things. Pastor Gerald calls me as Timothy, his faithful son of the Lord. You know, and so Paul has this Timothy, this young man. And, you know, they would say, oh, you know, why did did Paul himself not come? But Paul never sent him his second best. Timothy and Apollos, these guys that he sent to the Corinthians, were the absolute best that he had. He actually left himself in a bad situation as he left. And he went on to the next missionary journey because he needed these guys. But he left them with the Corinthian church and he always gave them his best. In verse 18, now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. Paul takes a little bit of James's advice here. James tells us, you know, don't say tomorrow I'm going to go here and tomorrow I'm going to do that. But say, if the Lord wills, then I'm going to do this or that. And so Paul here, along this kind of James instruction, says, if the Lord wills, I will come to you shortly. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power for the kingdom of God is not in word or but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod, or in love, or as a spirit of gentleness? If the worship team wants to come up, we're going to finish on time today, maybe a little early. Very nice. I thought about just doing five today because I knew we'd finish a little bit early. Um, But I didn't know how much you guys could handle. Sons having sex with their dads, wives. It's not his mom. It's not talking about incest. But we get to tackle this next week. Um, I will just say in prelude to next week's message that you know it's it's one of the things that was taking place in the Corinthian church that Paul's going to deal with really head on next week was the the immorality and the sexual sins that that Paul's going to have to kind of tackle in this church that he that he's planting and building. So let's stand together. Hey, so the message of chapter four was simple, as simple as I can make it, is humility. Okay? You have nothing. Two things, I guess. The challenge, again, that God put forth for you and I that, that began as, as Paul is there in verse 14. He says, I, I don't say these things to shame you, but to warn you. Okay? And, and then for, for today, again, it's the same challenge that we gave you guys last week. The natural, the spiritual, the carnal. That God is not interested in the casual seeker. That God wants you to seek with all your heart. That God wants you to really go for it in Jesus. And you can't come to church and just put one foot in the church and leave one foot in the world and expect that God is going to do something in your life that you're asking Him to do. And if God hasn't shown up in your life to bring victory over things that you're asking for God to do, the reason is because He needs all of you first. And once you give Him all of your life, all of your heart, then God, you will see God show up in a miraculous way. You will see God show up in a, in a way that you've never seen before. And you're not waiting on God. God's waiting on you. He's waiting on you to make a decision that you want to give Him all of your life. Amen? Amen. Will you guys close your eyes and bow your head with me? I'm going to lead you guys in a prayer. And maybe you're out there today and, and you just realize you've been a little lukewarm. And God is challenging you this morning. You've been trying to please the world. You've been trying to fit in and you're in your non-Christian circles and it's not going so well. And today you just want to say, God, I want all of you. I want all that you have for me today, God. I want to serve you, I want to be a hundredfold, I want to be a spiritual Christian, I want to get rid of the carnality that's in my life, if that's you today, I want you to just pray this prayer with me, out loud, and maybe if there's somebody else in here today who is a natural man and is not a believer in Jesus Christ, and you want to give your heart and life to Jesus today, I'd like for you to also pray out loud to give your heart and life to Jesus. So let's pray together, ask everybody to join me wherever you are, and God hears your heart, And he knows what you're saying to us. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I've been a carnal Christian. I've been lukewarm. I hear the call to grow in Jesus, to not be lukewarm, to not be vomited out of your mouth. Help me to grow in you. I surrender all my life. I give you everything. Everything. I take my foot out of the world and I put it in You. I put my faith, I put my trust in Jesus alone. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Let's worship the Lord. Josh and Amber will be up front. If anybody would like individual prayer, we'd love to pray for you guys. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Um, stick around. We ended early, so stick around. we got one more song. Let God's Spirit speak to you during this song. Worship the Lord. And again, if you'd like individual prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Darlene and Kevin also will be available for prayer if anybody would like individual prayer. We encourage you guys in that. God bless you guys.